Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Range of Capital podcast. This is a weekly 15-minute long podcast and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely Capital, and with me as always is my co-host and the founder of Rangely Capital, Chris Demuth. It is uh, Friday, December 11th. Today we're going to spend the whole podcast talking about our article of the day. It's called Third Avenue Fund's Eerie Financial Crisis Echo, and it was actually published this morning in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, So Chris and I are really excited to talk about this, Uh, but before we get started, I just want to give a little bit of an overview of the situation for people who might not know what's going on. So... The Third Avenue Fund, the article reference, it's a mutual fund, and it's what they call their focus credit fund. And the strategy is basically to invest in high-yield debt. Uh, This is also known as junk bonds, but it's basically just riskier debt that pays a higher interest rate. Uh, The fund has had a horrible year. It's way down. And because of the horrible year, investors have been withdrawing money from it. Uh, And when a lot of investors withdraw money from a fund, it can create kind of a death spiral. And what happens is the fund has to sell assets because investors are withdrawing. Selling the assets pushes the price of those assets down, which leads to more investors withdrawing, which leads to more selling, etc. Because kind of investors know what's about to happen, some sophisticated trader investors will actually bet that the prices of the fund's assets will go down because they know the fund's going to have to sell and force the prices down. So this spiral can be terrible. Uh, the Wall Street Ar- article, the Wall Street Journal article notes that the Third Avenue Fund, they stopped investors from withdrawing to prevent that death spiral. And they say that in August 2007, BNP Paribas did a similar thing with some of their funds. And that redemption was a signal of deeper troubles to come in 2008. And the article wonders if this Third Avenue blocking is a signal of deeper trouble to come this year and next year. Uh, the markets responded with a big sell-off. They were down 2% today and about 5% this week. Uh, so, Chris, I think we both have similar logic, but maybe slightly different conclusions on this. Let's uh, go ahead and get started. Do you think this is a sign of bad things to come? Well, uh, it's interesting. You said that this was a terrible spiral. Is this bad? I would say it might be a lovely spiral <laughs> and good. Uh, these They're always described from one perspective. If somebody's patient and liquid and waiting, uh, maybe this is a wonderful thing. Exactly. So what happens is Third Avenue becomes a forced seller. That's mm-hmm. someone who will sell almost regardless of price because they have other obligations. And what you're saying is this can be great for the person on the other side of the trade. And I agree. We love to be buyers from someone who's selling for non-fundamental, non-economic reasons. Also, they're always kind of overly uh, analy- uh, 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 comparing to the previous environment. So is it just like 2007, 2008? I don't know. It seems different for a dozen reasons. But uh, uh, but, but people kind of glom on to this idea that, uh, that it symbolizes something bigger. Yep. So I, I think a big difference is in 2007 – BNP Paribas, they stopped withdrawals because they actually couldn't value their assets. Right. In this case, Third Avenue can value their assets. They just not they just might not be happy with the price they can get from for them. So I, there's a big difference right there. Uh, not, not only can they, but I heard an offer from Andrew Walker just minutes ago <laughs> that you would even offer yeah. uh, that we that we would provide marks for anybody who couldn't come up with an offer. They might not like the marks. Exactly. So people, there's all this fear of illiquidity and the fact is everything is liquid anything that has limited liability which a stock or a bond does it means you can't lose more than the money you put in and legal 
and legal, is generally going to, it's always going to be liquid. There's always going to be someone who will buy it from you at a price. You just might not like the price. You can come to Chris and I, and we'll take a look at almost anything and make a bid, you know, 99% below the last trade for just about anything, I would say. And maybe even a bit more diverse than that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, let's talk about the fund strategy. This sure. was a mutual fund, yep. which means daily liquidity. Mm-hmm. You can withdraw your money at the end of every day. And it invested in bonds, which we've mm-hmm. said, you know, the e-liquidity is overblown. But bonds are generally a lot less liquid than stocks. They're public. They're not as easily to publicly trade. Isn't this a case of just a mismatch in strategy, e- somewhat e-liquid assets with daily liquidity? It's a big problem. Uh, the only way you can kind of solve it is if you have a culture that cuts into that uh, liquidity terms for your investors where they're there for the long term. You kind of train them uh, to expect uh, what uh, what they're going to face. But boy, they didn't expect this. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're big fans of Warren Buffett, Bill mm-hmm. Ackman. And I think a lot of them had said, you know, they run hedge funds, which are quarterly liquidity. But Buffett shut his hedge fund down and went to Berkshire Hathaway, which is permanent capital. And yeah. he said that's an advantage many times. Do you think it's that big of an advantage because you can take advantage of these situations? Uh, I think here it certainly is. I mean, I think that uh, that the gates uh, are pretty important for any kind of uh, any kind of resolution. Uh, and so it just meant that as soon as the terms they offered were used, they had to withdraw those terms. Yeah. Uh, and I think that people kind of go into these presupposing they're going to be successful, uh, but funds lose money all the time. People get redemptions all the time. And those two things are uh, not just common, but quite correlated. Yep. Yep. Uh, all right. So I think a lot of people are going to be listening to this podcast because we say the canary in the coal mine, and I don't think they're as interested in maybe the Third Avenue situation as what the journal implies. You know, is this 2007, 2008 all over again? Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts? Uh, I know we don't like to speak in definitive. So do you think there's a chance this is 2007, 2008? Do you think there's a market crash coming? Boy, I don't know. I, I, and I rather suspect nobody does. Um, I would say that we are closer to a top than to a bottom. Mm-hmm. I would say that in both equities and in credit, that the prospective performance of analogous markets in the past with similar metrics had uh, no return or low return. Yep. Um, and so uh, while I am agnostic as to what the future holds, there's no amount of tailwind that I'm expecting for any amount of my uh, perspective, happiness or wealth. Uh, so, you know, it's enough to say that I don't know, but I don't know in a way that uh, uh, isn't expecting any tailwinds. Okay, so let's talk about that. So, you know, when we refer to the market, we generally think of something like the S&P. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the exact levels, but the S&P closed today at around 2000, mm-hmm. let's call it. 2000 is just a number. Mm -hmm. So how do you really look at the market and say, oh, this looks like a cheap market. This looks like an overvalued market to me. Sure. Well, uh, first of all, the bond market is much, much bigger than the equity market. Mm -hmm. You know, we kind of tend to focus, you know, uh, as primarily as an equity guy, I have a certain amount of reverence for the credit analysts. It's a little bit more quantitative. I think it's a little bit more thoughtful. There's no Jim Cramer's mad bonds uh, the way there is a Jim Cramer's mad money for stocks. Uh, So it's something that I take quite seriously. Uh, But specifically on equities now, um, you know, I think that uh, looking uh, at individual country markets and comparing uh, metrics, especially 
uh, looking at earnings and cash flow and asset value over time. Mm-hmm. In the very short term, corporate profitability can be noisy yeah. in, in specific parts of the cycle, uh, which is why if you look at Robert Schiller and other people that have taken 10-year or a long stretched out, uh, it basically allows for more of the variability to be the price side and not the earnings side. So what you're referring to is uh, a way, a shorthand way to value a stock or even a stock market is the price to earnings mm-hmm. metric, right? The price divided by the last 12 months earnings. Mm-hmm. And the issue with that is at market bottoms, when earnings are most depressed is when price looks the most expensive, right? Mm-hmm. So 2009, the S&P 500 had zero earnings. Right. So the, the price to earnings looks crazy, but it was actually the best time to buy probably in our lifetimes. What you want to do is you want to look at an average of, say, the past 10 years mm-hmm. earnings to smooth out that kind of – to smooth out one year's ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you see that stock markets are more expensive than normal right now. Yeah, that's correct. And then the second one I'd look at uh, – and I like to look at that one, by the way, throughout – across time from mm-hmm. history. And then I also like to look at across geographies at the present. Uh, the second one that I think is very interesting is if you look at the market cap. Uh, to the GDP, mm-hmm. that that ratio has some validity over time, again, over both time and over other countries, uh, and that also on that measure, it looks kind of uh, kind of on the uh, expensive side. Now, so market cap to GDP is a really interesting one. So I, you know, I spend much more of my time looking at, as you do, at individual stocks and oh, trying to find the... 99% so, and maybe it should be 100 So I'm going to do something I very rarely do, which is ask a question that I don't really have a great a great insight on what the answer is. But market cap's GDP is one that's frequently cited. Today's businesses and the S&P 500 is much more international mm-hmm. than it ever has been. Mm-hmm. So is U.S. market cap to GDP really relevant when someone like a Apple, a Coke, everyone gets so much more of their earnings internationally? Uh, less so. I mean, I think this was a great... Uh, indicator in the 70s, and I think every decade since then it's been more problematic. I particularly like it for uh, country markets, mm-hmm. uh, and when you look, when you go from developed to developing, uh, it, it becomes more uh, exactly. interesting. Uh, if we went to Africa, an African company would get almost all of its earnings from within yeah. the country, so that it would be a great indicator there. And you can always compare it to itself. Right? Yeah. So, so even though it has a lot of noise, you can compare it to itself. And then when you go to really uh, uh, quite uh, emerging, uh, I guess we don't say third world anymore, but third world uh, markets, um, uh, I would say that there's a lot of other indicators just in terms of uh, commodity usage, electricity, and so forth that has the major advantage of that it's harder to cheat and lie yeah. and it's outsiders can come in and measure. And I think the ability to measure, even when there's a lot of noise and people will critique uh, the flaws, you can measure, you can compare it to itself and see, so, see trends. So I think one thing you could point to is China. Mm-hmm. Through, through the global recession, China kept saying like, oh, our GDP is growing 10 and kind of uh, short sellers or more critical analysts would go and point and be like, China, your electricity usage is down 5 or 10%. Like, you can't be an energy-dependent emerging market growing and use less electricity. Mm-hmm. You're clearly gaming it. Let me go back to CAPE. So sure. we've talked about CAPE, uh, cyclically adjusted price to earnings, so that long-term price to earnings metric is high right now. Mm-hmm. But when I look at kind of the companies that are the major drivers of the stock market today, Apple, Google, Facebook, 
uh, well, Facebook might not have much earnings, but Apple and Google, a lot of these other companies, they're, they are earning so much more. They weren't even parts of the stock market or major parts 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they are earning so much more and than they were 10 years ago. Their valuations are generally cheap. How do you think about the economy is developing so quickly when looking at long-term price averages? It makes it hard to measure. Uh, it makes it hard to determine. So I think that I'm probably grateful that we spend uh, as little as we do trying to prognosticate yes. on this. You know, I think that you can kind of get your bearings a little bit, but uh, it probably offers little uh, beyond that. Yeah, because, you know, it's one thing I worry about. Uh, a couple years ago, Facebook brought in, bought Instagram for $2 billion. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of really deep in the wool value investors, which I think both you and I associate ourselves with, said, you bought a company with no revenue for $2 billion? Like, why don't you just light it on fire? Actually, it was a billion dollars. And, you know, today Instagram's worth $30 billion. And I worry that our older price-to-earnings metrics aren't picking up some of these new companies that are creating tremendous value and will be tremendously profitable soon, but aren't quite there yet. Uh, Amazon's a great example. You know, they barely report a profit, but it's clearly a hugely valuable company that will report a lot of profits in some time. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, two, two, two thoughts on that. First is uh, all of these measurements work better, both at extremes and in crude increments. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I have a horrible singing voice. I think of it as kind of a hot cross buns voice. Like, I don't know all the notes, but I know the <laughs> difference between high, medium, and low. And so when I sing, I kind of jam everything into one of those three notes. Uh, and uh, in, uh, in a lot of these financial metrics, we have computers now, so we can do this at meticulous detail down to any number uh, yep. to the right of the decimal point we want to. But really all it tells you is... This looks expensive-ish, this looks about right-ish, or it looks cheap-ish, and then you kind of go from yep. there. Uh, and if you look at the overall market, I would say it's somewhere between about right-ish and expensive-ish. But, uh, you know, I think more detail than that uh, is, is, is hard. Um, and uh, uh, first thought. And then secondly, on some of these innovative companies, boy, um, uh, it, it's very hard to be a value investor. Uh, but then again... Amazon chooses not to be wildly profitable. Yep. Of the world of not profitable companies, there are very few that are in that situation. A hundred percent. Like Jeff Bezos, they just don't want to be wildly profitable that year. It applies to him, but he might be a sample size of one. <laughs> exactly. There are a few people like, we can make a profit today, but we don't want to. All right. So I think we agreed there, and I hope readers appreciate or listeners like this thought process. Let's go one more, and I'll put you on the spot here. So we've talked markets are fairly to maybe overvalued at this point. They're kind of in some turmoil right now. Where are you slash we seeing the best places to invest right now? Uh, boy, uh, we actually – it's funny. We don't have sector theses about this is a track. This is going to go up or down. But where we're getting bombarded with opportunities has been uh, really healthcare more than anything yep. else yep. recently. Uh, here and there – uh, in energy, uh, but uh, uh, instead of trying to quote you, let me see if I can uh, put it back to you on what you said uh, uh, at the end of the day yesterday uh, on uh, on where we're finding opportunities specifically. You had one line. Do you remember? Yeah, it's, uh, you're saying that I uh, talk too much to remember <laughs> everything you're, I say. You're saying that what you really liked is we're finding that we can put a lot of money to work in companies where the management is doing the right thing. Yep. And adding value in ways that the existing shareholder base didn't expect. So we're finding just these 
catastrophic uh, price implosions for yep. companies that are doing sensible things. In some cases, they're underdoing what we would have done. Uh, they're doing the things that we would have wanted, that we did want, that we've in many cases communicated, but it's just wholly outside of the expectations of the existing shareholders. And, that, and what a great reason to have something cheap. So I think this goes back to the discussion we had Wednesday about Kinder Morgan. You know, all the investors great who bought example. Kinder Morgan bought it and they bought it for a dividend and they said, this is worth a 5% dividend yield. And Kinder Morgan has to cut the dividend. And these investors, you know, they don't know how to value it outside of a 5% growing dividend yield. So it's those places where someone's cutting the dividend and they're selling for non- non-fundamental reasons because they're just doing something different. That's kind of uh, where we're seeing value. And in many ways, it's similar to the Third Avenue Focus Fund. Like someone who's selling not because they think the asset's bad, just because the asset isn't what they were expecting is uh, – kind of where we're going. So Mm -hmm. I think we're out of time. Let's wrap it up there. Uh, Thanks again for listening. We really appreciate it. If you like this podcast, please be sure to subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. Uh, If you already subscribed, please recommend it to a friend who you think might like it. We'd love to increase our distribution. As always, if you have any commentary, we'd love to hear it. Critical commentary, send it over to Chris. Uh, If you like the podcast, send it over to me. Uh, Thanks again for listening and have a great weekend.